Hey there, I'm Ange McCormack and this is 7am's Best Of series where we look back at our favourite episodes from 2023. Today's episode is a very juicy story about a plagiarism scandal which was uncovered by our colleagues at The Monthly, Richard Cook and Anna Verney. It's an extremely compelling tale that shocked the literary world in Australia and 7am listeners when we published it. Before we get to the episode, 7am editor Scott Mitchell is here to talk about it a bit more. Scott, this is a scandalous episode. <laughs> and all credit to that has to go to Anna Verney and, and Richie. You know, Anna had broken the first story about this um, and what appeared to be plagiarism in John Hughes's novel The Dogs at, at The Guardian. And then her and Richie had spent months and months and months on this story, building up this picture, doing copious research across all of Hughes's work and across the Australian literary community, really. And it, it ended up, the, the feature that they wrote for The Monthly won a Walkley for Best Arts Journalism mm. and Most Outstanding Long-Form Writing. It's an incredible piece that I urge people to seek out. But what also makes it so fascinating is the picture they build of the arts and of writing in Australia and how this sort of scandal speaks to the sort of odd nature of that in this country. Yeah, as um, a journalist, I love this story because it's it's a story that everyone would love to have found or broken themselves because, one, it's happened upon coincidentally and most people could find this coincidence, as Anna does, and just you know, brush it off and go nowhere with it. But she was curious enough to follow her instinct and actually follow through. She saw something was wrong and she dug. And I think that's such a an honourable trait of a journalist to have. And she not only found that something was off, but it actually got bigger and bigger. Like often as a journalist, you, you have a hunch about something, like you want to investigate something or look into something. And nine times out of ten, it goes nowhere. It's so rare for something to, one, go somewhere, but two, get even bigger and bigger than you actually thought. So I just delighted in this story and the satisfaction of this story and how it kind of paid off and how good journalism and digging actually formed this picture of a story that otherwise would have gone unnoticed were it not for one woman's curiosity. And, I mean, both Richie and Anna couldn't believe how every time it got bigger. I mean, in the process of doing it, they really would happen upon the next revelation and think that is as big as it got, and then it got bigger. And then it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of the researchers that Richie and Anna talked to for this piece who who used matching software to kind of build up more and more instances of this alleged plagiarism, you know, Richie told me even then, using all that software it can only take you so far because you have to sort of know what you are matching against and what you're looking for. Mm. And, you know, Richie and Anna found instances where Hughes had appeared to plagiarise from, you know, former high school students of his and their material on Spark Notes, which which for anyone who went to high school in the (laughs) 2000s was sort of a a way that students plagiarised work for, for tests. And so to find that... Um, it added that kind of stuff that they found added actually an entirely different dimension because so much of what Hughes was talking about was about um, borrowing from other forms of art and that it was a technique. And so to find those elements of Sparks notes, it's hard to see how the justification of sort of collage and homage mm, applies there. It wasn't a sophisticated strategy, it, no. it turns out. And, and I have to say both... 
Anna and Richie were so um, generous with. What's interesting about this episode for listeners is it's a double-hander. They're both telling the story mm. and they were incredibly generous to sort of work with us on that and bring both their voices in. And I think they both add a wonderful quality to the story. Absolutely. All right, here's the juicy, scandalous episode for your enjoyment, hosted by Ruby Jones, featuring Richard Cook and Anna Verney. So Anna and Richie, welcome to 7am. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks, Ruby. So, Anna, you were the first person to uncover John Hughes' plagiarism, and it seems like you stumbled onto this almost by accident. Can you tell me about where it all began for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I picked up a copy of The Dogs to Read in uh, early 2022, and uh, when I read it, uh, I was heavily pregnant, and in The Dogs there is this central scene that is incredibly shocking in it, uh, the protagonist's mother, she's fighting the German army uh, in World War II. She's a partisan hiding in a swamp with her unit. And in this scene, she's forced to murder her baby daughter by holding her under the swamp uh, and drowning her. Someone betrayed us. We were saved by the swamps. For days, we stood up to our necks, mud and water. The baby was hungry, but she was hungry too and had little milk. And uh, when I read it, I was just incredibly shocked uh, and found it really uh, powerful in its horror. Uh, Shortly afterwards, uh, a month and a half later, I picked up a copy of Svetlana Alexeyevich's The Unwomanly Face of War. It's a collection of oral histories of Soviet women who fought in World War II uh, and As I was reading the foreword, I had this incredible sense of deja vu that uh, I was reading a scene in which a woman describes watching another partisan drown her own baby in a swamp while hiding from the German army. Somebody betrayed us. We were saved by the swamps where the punitive forces didn't go. For days, for weeks, we stood up to our necks in water. The baby was hungry. It had to be nursed. But the mother herself was hungry and had no milk. I immediately ran to get John Hughes's book, The Dogs, and compared them side by side. And the similarities between them were very striking. Someone betrayed us. We were saved by the swamps where the punitive forces didn't go. For days, for weeks, we stood up to our necks, mud and water. The baby was hungry. It had to be nursed. But she was hungry too and had little milk. And Richie, when Anna told you about this, about the similarities that she'd come across between the dogs and the unwomanly face of war, what did you make of it? What are the chances of all the millions of books in the world that someone like Anna should read The Dogs by John Hughes and The Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Alexeyevich in a row while she is thinking about pregnancy. Her name is Anna, the same as the woman in the book. And these are the two kind of the key and the lock that unlocks this years-long practice 
of cribbing and kidnapping from other people's work. And how did you come to be working together on the story? So Anna and I had known each other for a while. We, we were sort of, you know, in touch about her work and mine. And when she first read the Alexeyevich examples, there was this real sense that there was going to be more. You know, we said right from the very beginning, people who do this very rarely do it once. And to some extent, we anticipated some resistance. You know, if you look at prior literary scandals in Australia, what tends to happen is that at the beginning, the publishing companies will say, nothing's wrong. This person is someone of the utmost integrity. But at the same time, they won't actually ask them direct questions about it. It's interesting. This same pattern kind of played out in the past and it's played out this time that it's almost a precondition to be a published writer that people don't expect you to do things like this. So then it became about the forensics, about collating this material. And people think that it's just, you know, a matter of feeding it into software. And it's really not like that. It's extremely time consuming. There's a lot of informed guesswork, a lot of detective work. And, you know, Anna has incredible ability in that regard. Mm. And so, Anna, as you're realising that these two bits of text are extremely similar. What did you actually know about John Hughes? I mean, you obviously, you had his book, but how much did you know about his image and his public reputation as a writer? Look, I knew a little. I uh, had been given the dogs after it was reviewed very um, effusively on a Radio National program as one of the great Australian contemporary novels. Uh, And as I did a little bit more research into John Hughes and his writing, I could see that he... Uh, had written, for example, an article in which he described the dogs as being founded upon some of his family experience. His uh, grandparents were Ukrainian and came to Australia after World War II. And he'd said that some of the book was based upon his grandmother telling me about her own experiences in World War II. In addition to that, as I did a little bit more research, I could see that he gained a significant amount of critical acclaim over the course of his writing career. Mm. Okay. And so once you had these two texts in front of you and you'd noticed the similarities, tell me about what happened next. So I kept on reading through the Alexeyevich and as I kept on reading, further passages stood out to me uh, as having been in the dogs and I would go and check (laughs) between the Alexeyevich and the dogs and ultimately I found about nine sections, nine scenes between the two books that Hughes had taken from the Alexeyevich. After that, I decided that I should get in touch with Mr Hughes's publisher, Upswell Publishing. I took photographs of all of the scenes and sent them across to Upswell Publishing and let them know that about these really striking similarities between the books. Mm. And so what did John Hughes and, and his publisher have to say about it? Initially, I didn't hear from John Hughes. John Hughes's publisher, uh, Terry Ann White at Upswell Publishing, wrote back to me. She acknowledged that a reader might be alarmed by the similarities between John Hughes's book and the Alexeyevich, but she was convinced, without having spoken to John, that John would not have copied directly from Alexeyevich's book. Instead, she said that she was struck by the universality of experience in war and suffering that the similarities revealed. Mm. What did you think of that? It didn't strike me as a particularly convincing response. 
several months later, I saw that the dogs had been nominated for the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award and that it had been shortlisted. And I checked to see whether any attributions or acknowledgements uh, had been appended to the book, perhaps on the website. And on seeing that they hadn't, I really decided this is really newsworthy. I'm going to write about this. We'll be back in a moment. The Saturday Paper's food editors are some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle and Karen Martini. Let them guide your cooking when you sign up to Schwartz Media's free weekly newsletter, The Food. It features the latest recipe from the Saturday paper, along with a selection of seasonal dishes suitable for all cooks. Subscribe today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday paper, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. So Anna, last year you wrote a news story which was all about the similarities that you'd uncovered in a passage in the celebrated Australian book The Dogs by John Hughes and this separate work by Svetlana Alexeyevich, who is a, a Belarusian journalist and author. And at this point, John Hughes actually responded to the claims of plagiarism, didn't he? What was his explanation? Yeah, so John uh, responded in the piece that I published uh, and initially he said that the similarities with the Alexeyevich book were a result of uh, an accident. He had mixed up passages from the Alexeyevich that he had taught with transcripts of his grandparents' accounts of their time during World War II. And, yeah, basically he said that this was all a result of a mix-up and he apologised to Svetlana Alexeyevich for the use of her work, Unacknowledged. Mm. OK, so Hughes is admitting that it's been copied but says that it's this kind of mix-up, this simple mistake, and, and he's apologising to, to the author, Alexeyevich. Presumably it's not the first time that a mistake has been made in literature and, and at this point it seems like I think maybe that this might blow over but then we start to hear about more issues in the text. Can you start to, to outline the other instances of similarities that emerge? Yeah, absolutely. So after the Alexeyevich article was published, some literary critics and academics became really interested in the dogs. Their names were Emmett Stinson and Shannon Burns. They started reading the dogs and as they did, they started realising that there were further passages from other books. So those included... Anna Karenina. In that brief glance, Vronsky had time to notice the restrained animation that played over her face and fluttered between her shining eyes and the barely noticeable smile that curved her red lips. It was as if a surplus of something so overflowed her being that it expressed itself beyond her will. Now in the brightness of her glance, now in her smile. John Hughes, The Dogs. In that brief assessment, I had time to notice the restrained animation that played over her features and knew at once what drew my mother to her. 
It was as if some surplus so overflowed her it expressed itself beyond her will, now in the brightness of her glance, now in her smile. The Great Gatsby, all quiet on the Western Front. Hyestus is carried off with his back torn open. You can see the lung throbbing through the wound with every breath he takes. We see men go on living with the top of their skulls missing. We see soldiers go on running when both their feet have been shot away. John Hughes, The Dogs. She saw a man carried off with his back torn open, the lung throbbing through the wound. She saw men go on living with the top of their skulls missing. She saw soldiers go on running when both of their feet had been shot away. Richard and I went away and did months of work pulling on the threads in John Hughes's work <laughs> to see how much else was in there, if there was <laughs> further material in there. And what we came away with um, and have published in the monthly is really, truly extraordinary. The Dogs is a 300-odd page novel and when Richard and I put all the borrowings from other books into a table, comparing them with the dogs. Our table amounted to 170 pages long. And we actually weren't able to put all the sources we found in there because it was getting too laborious for us to do. Wow, okay. And so what does Hugh say as, as these kinds of revelations come out? So I guess it's not just a light <laughs> borrowing here or there. It's really um, a significant amount of taking from other sources. So John wrote a long essay in The Guardian called I Am Not a Plagiarist and Here's Why. Uh, in the essay, he said he compared his writing style to Gabriel Garcia, Marquez, uh, Dickens and Kafka, among others, this time John's defence changed. This time it wasn't the result of a mix-up. He said that this was actually the way he works as a writer, that he commonly uses the work of other writers in his own. And he said that he didn't really think of what he was doing as plagiarism. Uh, it was more a question of influence. Right. And so, Richie, if I could come back to you here... Hughes first says that he's mistakenly copied someone else's work into his book. But then as all these other examples start to come out, he says that in these cases, it's actually intentional. This is how he works. This is part of his process. So can you tell me a bit more about what he means when he says that and, and how plausible it is that this was actually an intentional artistic choice as a writer? I mean, so John Hughes starts off with this kind of dog ate my homework excuse about getting his notes mixed up. He's taken all these notes from the Alexeyevich novel, he's taught them in class, and he has confused them with interview transcripts from his Ukrainian grandparents. That is possible, I guess, but a few things make it more unlikely. He taught the material relatively recently. The Alexeyevich had only been translated into English relatively recently. And the interviews had been conducted some time ago. So he was asking people to have faith that he had confused material that he was teaching in the last couple of years before writing with stuff that was, you know, up to a decade old. So it was already teetering on the brink of the implausible. And I think the intertextual excuses really pushed it over. 
Mm. Okay. So you're saying then, I suppose, that there isn't really much merit to the idea that what Hughes was actually doing would count as this kind of intertextual approach. It, it's closer to plagiarism. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always a continuum between an intertextual approach and plagiarism. But we know that John Hughes knew the difference between these things. He wrote about them. He put acknowledgements in his books that show that he understood that material was copyright and how he should use that. Why he and the people around him decided to drop those attributions is one of the mysteries of this story still to us. Yeah, so John uh, was really locating his work uh, in the tradition of intertextuality. He referenced, for example, the poet T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, which is a poem made up of other sources. And I think when we look at John's defence, we can see that uh, over time, historically, he had worked as a writer intertextually himself. But when he started with this intertextuality, he had previously used attributions and acknowledgements of other sources that he was working with by including bibliographies in his work. So something had switched between his early work and the dogs in which he didn't use any attributions or acknowledgements. And so... Richie, when you think about John Hughes and the circumstances that he was in, he was this teacher at an elite private school in Sydney for a long time and and had come to be quite celebrated among a certain part of the Australian literary world. So to what extent do you think that his position actually, I suppose, enabled this to happen and allowed him to get away with this for so long? We get a strong sense from people around grammar that John Hughes was kind of on light duties as a teacher, that this is a guy who's given a lot of time semi-officially to write on school time. He's given a healthy salary. He's even given adjunct work, writing stuff for arts festivals. And it is sometimes easy to think, well, what could someone else have done with that? That situation's pretty rare for a writer now. But one thing that we, we sort of sense throughout this story is that The literary world in Australia, unfortunately, is small and it's getting smaller. Its resourcing is poor. The average salary that these kinds of authors make is dropping. And that means that it feels besieged. It's not a pleasant place to work. Publishing has very, very high rates of mental illness. And one of the ways that it deals with these conditions is solidarity. People look out for each other. They may not be getting wide readerships, but they are getting peer accolades and sometimes those take the form of awards. So to step out of that circle and break it and to say this person has done something wrong can be quite difficult because you don't know whether you're going to be penalised for that sort of behaviour. The other aspect is that with a a literary novel like this in Australia, um, which doesn't have a massive amount of cut through, there just aren't that many people reading it overall. There aren't that many eyeballs going over it to detect things like this. Mm. And so where does all of this leave Hughes now? What happens to his his legacy and and the books that he's written and the way that he's seen, I suppose, in the Australian literary canon? So Joseph Arp, who is a writer and a former student of John Hughes and someone who Hughes plagiarised from directly, wrote about this and he said that From this moment on, John Hughes's name will always be associated with plagiarism, that 
when there's a book review that comes out of his next book, if another book does come out, that's going to be the first thing that it mentions. So it's hard to understand how someone who is clearly so fixated on legacy and genius and being part of a conversation with previous literary greats, especially in Europe, thought that this would play out. I don't really know what he thought was going to happen when this came to light. Perhaps he was betting on the fact that it wouldn't or that this kind of intertextual mode would excuse or explain all of the ways that he had written. And I know, Anna, that you've actually, you have gone and looked at other literary scandals of the past. Um, You've spoken to academics and, and researchers to try and, I suppose, answer the question of, you know, how exactly to to label what it is that John Hughes has done here. So how how does it compare if you look at the level of, you know, quote unquote borrowing in Hughes's work? How does that compare against other kind of literary scandals? Yeah, really, uh, it's quite extraordinary. It seems that we have chanced upon one of the great cases of literary plagiarism Uh, In the process of writing our story, uh, we were hard-pressed to find any example of plagiarism of the scale that we found um, in the dogs and across uh, the rest of uh, Hughes' work. Anna, Richie, thank you both so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com.